This is Lindsay Pavelic with Pavelic Brothers Farms in Pleasanton, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. So glad to be with you once again for another edition of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, is the nation's cow herd still shrinking? Well, here in Texas, that's not really a question. After this past year's drought and herd destocking, we know ours is shrinking. But what about nationwide? Well, it seems that most analysts think it still is, and they'll get confirmation of that coming up in next week's USDA biannual cattle inventory report. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Cross-breeding dairy and beef cattle has created a new source of revenue for some Texas High Plains dairies, but there's still a lot to learn. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. The world is rediscovering sorghum. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have reasons why that is the case with the latest consumer demand for sorghum on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. USDA releases its twice-a-year cattle inventory report next week, And everyone is expecting it to show that the U.S. cow herd is continuing to shrink. Texas A&M livestock economist David Anderson. I think folks expect to see a pretty big decline in the number of beef cows. Something 4% or more is sort of what I'm expecting nationwide. We really moved a lot of beef cows to market this year. Drought was certainly a big factor, not just in Texas, but in the whole western half of the U.S. and up into the Great Plains. Drought forced more cows to market. And it's not just drought. Anderson says increasing costs are also causing cow herds to get smaller. You know, ranchers face higher costs. You know, while calf prices have been higher, costs have been higher. And so there's an economic component, not just drought, not raining, not enough grass, but costs that have gone up in excess of what calf prices have gone up. And that's forced more culling as well. So I think we're going to be talking about a historically pretty large year over year decline in the number of beef cows. The cattle inventory report comes out next Tuesday. The sheep industry is working several legislative issues in Washington. Rodney Cott is vice president of the Texas Sheep and Goat Raisers Association. I caught up with him at last week's American Sheep Industry Association convention in Fort Worth. 
You know, so we're working nationally with ASI on some things. One of the things we've been working on is getting some drugs that are available internationally, usable to our industry. Of course, it takes about three or four million dollars to get one approved. So it's pretty hard to get companies to invest that. So we're looking at that. We're looking at some wool options. Of course, the military is a big user of wool, so we watch that. Cott says the organization doesn't have any initiatives to pursue in the current legislative session, but they are keeping an eye on any changes in the state's water policy. Hay supplies are short in Texas this winter, and so are winter pastures. Brian Kane is a range and pasture segment manager for InView. He says he doesn't see very many good winter grazing fields when traveling his territory here in Texas. Everywhere in the great state of Texas, we're so big, and we've got areas that are, are I would say, decent. But overall, I would say uh, down, um, just from a lack of, of moisture. Again, the growth we're seeing is not there. So I think we're struggling a little bit in some of our uh, soccer situations. And, and I haven't been through the rolling plains in probably uh, 30 days, but didn't see a lot of cattle on winter pasture out there. But, uh, you know, I'm sure there's spots that are better than others, like usual. But overall, I'd say we're in a deficit. Kane says he's also hearing of some insect pressure in wheat fields. Crossing dairy and beef cattle has created a new source of revenue for Texas High Plains dairies. But James Hunt says there's still a lot to learn about that market. Earlier this week, we talked about the role that dairy cross calves are playing in helping feed yards maintain a good supply of feeder cattle. But in looking at things from a dairy perspective, the beef on dairy calves represent what is still a relatively new revenue stream. James Hancock is owner and manager of Prairie View Dairy in Muleshoe. He tells me his dairy sells crossbred calves as day-olds. That's what we call it. We give them three feedings of colostrum before we allow them to leave our premises, but we don't keep them for much longer after that. So when you're selling them, that wouldn't at that point be directly to a feed yard, would it? No, that goes straight to a calf grower. So we send them to a calf grower immediately from here, and then they raise them up to weaning. And then after weaning, they send them to a growing facility. Hancock says his dairy has been exploring the potential of dairy crosses for about a year and a half now and is still trying to sort out what works best for the beef industry. Probably end of this year we'll have a whole lot more data back. Uh, Most of the crosses we've done right now are Angus crosses, but we've heard of people doing limousine and charlet and stem Angus also. So there's lots of different breeds out there. We don't have much information back from the slaughterhouses yet on how well those animals do as to which we should choose Hancock says another area of study is the possible impact this crossbreeding has on milk production. There have been one or two studies that have been completed in the last probably three to four months where they say there isn't much of a change, but there is a change. It is a little bit of a decrease, but then again, it's one or two studies out of 30 or 40 that are going on at the moment. So like I said, we have to wait until we get some of that data back to see exactly how much of a change it'll push into the dairy industry. More from James Hancock tomorrow. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The world is rediscovering U.S. sorghum. Tom Nicoletti explains. My guest today is Norma Ritz-Johnson. She is executive director of the United Sorghum Checkoff Program. She is based in Lubbock. We're talking about consumer demand, the versatility, and healthy, uh, sustainable grains in foods uh, that uh, people are uh, 
purchasing across the country and, and elsewhere. Uh, what's the latest on that, Norma? As I like to say very often, the world is rediscovering sorghum. Sorghum has been consumed by people, by animals for 8,000 years. It's an ancient grain, and I know that consumers are increasingly looking for products that are labeled ancient grain, uh, which sorghum is considered one of. They are looking for products that are sometimes gluten-free, and sorghum is gluten-free. Products that are grown with a sustainable footprint, and sorghum certainly fits that bill due to its water-sipping tendencies, due to the improvements that it can make to the environment when producers grow sorghum, whether it's in rotations or whether it's a water-limited situation. So this is really beginning to pique interest among consumers, whether it is on the human food or whether it's actually in pet foods, increasingly so. We have actually done studies that show that 75% of consumers look at ingredient lists when they make pet food purchasing decisions. Every year we're seeing another percentage or so of our crop going into pet food. What we like about that is this is a premium value-added market for producers and that's what the sorghum checkoff is all about is finding added value for sorghum production for the farmers who grow it and pet food and human food is certainly one of those areas another exciting development this past year for human food consumption is that sorghum has now been added to the USDA Federal Food Buying Guide. And so this is the buying guide that dietitians and nutritionists use when procuring food to serve in federally funded school lunch or breakfast programs. This is very exciting because federal food feeding programs have new requirements when it comes to whole grains. And sorghum, of course, is a great nutritional source of protein, a good source of fiber, and that's one of the reasons that it makes a lot of sense for sorghum to be a solution when it comes to federal school lunch and breakfast programs. Enumerate a few of the maybe more popular foods for consumer demand uh, that uh, include sorghum. Sure. So uh, there are household name brand cereals, whole grain cereals that include sorghum that can be found right there on the grocery shelf. One major company that's a household name also has a whole grain breaded chicken cutlet that's frozen that includes sorghum. One of the reasons that that makes sense, sorghum has a unique ability to stay crisp. And so it makes sense when it comes to breakfast cereals or when it comes to something like a breaded frozen chicken cutlet. And so those are two examples. There's also uh, popped sorghums. Sorghum can be extruded, and so an extruded product is like a puff. And so it can be made into snack foods as well. That is Norma Ritz-Johnson with the United Sorghum Checkoff Program. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There are a few common mistakes that landowners make when trying to manage a pond for fishing. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And a Texas A&M research team is working on ways to boost pig birth weights. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. 
We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, visit tfbhealth.com. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. A Texas A&M research team is working on ways to boost pig birth weights. Dr. Bob Judd takes a look at their work. Dr. Fuller Baser indicates that he believes supplementing diets with the amino acids arginine and creatine can increase growth and development of the swine embryo and fetus during gestation. Arginine has been considered a non-essential amino acid in pigs because it is produced in the pig's body. However, the research team found that the amount of arginine produced is insufficient in certain conditions like pregnancy. Consequently, they believe arginine needs to be supplemented as it enhances embryonic and fetal growth and survival. Arginine is converted to nitric oxide, which stimulates blood vessel growth, and promotes dilation of blood vessels, which allows more blood and increased nutrients to the uterus. Increased blood flow to the reproductive tract supports fetal and placental growth and development throughout pregnancy. Arginine also gives rise to creatine, which the researchers believe can help overcome the birth of runt piglets and improve neurologic function in piglets. Creatine promotes skeletal muscle development so the piglets will be stronger. It is believed 10% of piglets die when the mother lies down on them because the piglets are not alert enough to get out of the way. The researchers are attempting to determine if creatine does influence the amount and type of skeletal muscle in pigs and whether supplementing the sow's feed increases the weight and muscle mass of the piglets, which is important for their survival. Once the information is worked out in animals, it is possible it could be helpful when premature small babies occur in human pregnancies. This research could decrease the number of human babies that require the use of an incubator to survive. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There are a few common mistakes that landowners make when managing a pond for fishing. Jessica Domel has more in today's Wildlife Report. If you hope to better manage a private pond or lake for fish production, there are several common pitfalls that you should try to avoid. Stephen Barden, fisheries biologist and owner of Texas Pro Lake, says that not harvesting the fish in your pond is one of the most common mistakes. We grew up in a catch and release environment. That's what we were taught as kids. But actually, catch and release leads to stunted fish and problems in your pond. So you need to harvest fish. You need to put a plan together, though. Look at what are the size classes of fish, where are they most abundant, and remove fish in that zone. But it could be up to 25% of the fish in the lake every year that need to come out. The second most common mistake is overfeeding. It definitely affects water quality, and depending on if the lake is stratified, so stratification means we have two different layers. If we have stratification in the bottom, there's no oxygen, then all that waste, whether it's the fish food or the output, uh, that waste has to be decomposed anaerobically. Now, if it's non-stratified, then it's decomposed aerobically, so the output's like carbon dioxide from that, so that's not as bad. But it will, even daily, you will see fluctuations in water quality based on all the waste materials. 
Pond owners and managers should take into consideration the size of the water body, the plants in it and on the shoreline, the color and clarity of the water, and the types and sizes of fish in the water. Barden offers tips on stocking and managing ponds on txprolake.com. That is txprolake.com. The Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service offers resources at fisheries.tamu.edu. That is fisheries.tamu.edu. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmol. The cattle market closed mostly higher Wednesday, cotton and wheat higher also. We'll take a look back at all of Wednesday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle market traded both sides of unchanged on Wednesday. When we shook it all out on the close, we finished mostly higher. The exception was the nearby February live cattle contract. It was down 25 cents, 157.60. The rest of the contracts finishing higher with April up 25, 161.55. June live cattle up 35 at 158.20. Mostly higher close on the feeder cattle market. January feeders up 45, 179.40. The March up 15 at 183.75. April feeder cattle up 42 cents, 188.35. Cash fed cattle market still quiet so far this week. Feedlots here in the south asking 157. No bids or asking prices reported up north. Boxed beef prices lower Wednesday. Choice down a dollar forty-two at two sixty-eight twenty-two. Select down a dollar eighty-seven at two fifty fifty-two. Now let's check the auction barge. We're going to walk the pins with Larry Marble and Riley Rhodes of Live Oak Livestock. Riley, how did your Monday sale turn out there at Live Oak Livestock, Three Rivers, Texas? I went real well today, Larry. Um, ended up with a 2,290 head total. Uh, like I said, we had a little over 800 of the wean calves today and uh, about 300 cows and the rest of uh, regular calves and yearling. Uh, market uh, fully steady was last week uh, up to $4 higher in spots. I uh, thought uh, on top of that, the wean calves of yearlings and calves that were weaned in our sale kind of brought an 8 to $12 uh, premium. Uh, not many pairs. Uh, we're splitting out what uh, what we have. Most of them, uh, they kind of bring a 925 up to 1400 Red cows, <clears throat> seven fifty up to twelve fifty. Uh, they did put money on packer cows today, eighty four to ninety two on your high yielding cows, seventy four to eighty six on your breakers, forty six to sixty eight on your canters. Uh, packer bulls are about the same, ninety six to dollar two on your high yielding bulls, seventy eight to ninety six on your low to medium yielding bulls. Two to three weight choice steers, one ninety six to two forty eight. Heifer mates, one seventy eight to one ninety six. Three to four weight choice steers, two hundred two to two thirty eight. Heifer mates, one sixty to one eighty eight. 
four to five weight choice steers, 176 to 220. Heifer mates, 160 to 182. Five to six weight choice steers, 172 to 208. Heifer mates, 152 to 178. Six to seven weight choice steers, 162 to 186. Heifer mates, 146 to 170. And the seven to eight weight cattle your choice steers, 146 to 172. And the heifer mates, 142 to 164. So real pleased with it. Uh, got along real well, like I said, with the wean, wean calves. Uh, got some loads of them moved up north. And uh, regular sale calves uh, sold real well. And like I said, the cow market was better. So I uh, had a good day all the way around. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you for next Monday's sale, Riley. 361-813-6650 is the sale. 361-786-2553 is the office. Webpage, lapoclouds.com. Neighbor? I'm Larry Marble in Deep South Texas, reporting for Texas Ag Today. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now, where lean hogs finished lower on Wednesday. February hogs down 30 cents, 76.80. April down 5 at 85.32. Class 3 milk was mixed. The nearby January up 7 cents at 19.50 a hundredweight. February milk down 34 at 18.27 a hundred. The cotton market started the day sharply lower Wednesday. However, we made up ground and finished slightly higher. Traders waiting on Thursday morning's USDA weekly export sales report. So far, cumulative export sales for this marketing year have reached just over 9 million bales. That is down from 11.26 million bales at this time last year. Nearby March cotton finishing 42 higher, 86.66. The May up 46 at 87.42. New crop December cotton up 40, 85.53. The corn market slightly lower. Poor export outlook still weighs on the market. Also a jump in ethanol stocks last week put some pressure on the corn trade. March corn down two and a quarter, 6.74 and three quarters. May corn down two at 673 and a quarter, while September corn was down three and a half at 604 and a half. The wheat market closed higher again Wednesday, mostly on short covering. March Kansas City wheat up nine and a half, 843 and a quarter, while new crop July was up eight and three quarters, 831 a bushel. Same story in the soft wheat market. March Chicago wheat up six and three quarters, 741 and a quarter, with new crop July up six. At 750 and a half. In the energy markets, March natural gas down 17 cents Wednesday, 287. March West Texas crude up 43 at 80.56 a barrel. The financial markets were mixed Wednesday afternoon. The Dow up nine points, 33,743. The NASDAQ down 20, 11,313, while the SP was down a point at 4,016. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.